So we're in a series now called Back to School, and really the heart of this series is to uh, really try to re-establish, after a crazy 18 months, some of the foundational values. I think this mic's a bit naff. Can someone give me another mic? Yeah, just throw it. Are you lacking confidence in your throwing or my catching, Charmaine? That's the question. Um, so when we talk about building our life on Christ, what are we talking about? Because it's always an easy thing to say. You know, you need to build your life on Christ. And we're saying Christ alone, cornerstone. What does it mean for Christ to be our cornerstone? Now, of course, Jesus came to save us, to save us from our sins, save us from ourselves, save us from one another, and offer us a future that we could not achieve in and under our, our own strength. And so, you know, obviously, primarily, Jesus came to save us. But he also came that we may have life now and life in its fullness and Satan doesn't want you to have that life, does he? He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that we may have life and have it in abundance. But what does that mean? Well, I believe if we kind of deconstruct our life to a measure, we can get a better understanding that actually Jesus wants to be king, not just of our Sundays, but of our finances. That Jesus doesn't just want to be king in our worship sets at church, but he wants to be king of our emotions. And he wants to be king over our relationships. And uh, he wants to be king over our physical uh, frames. And so today, I'm going to be looking at emotional health. And I believe this is a massively important message, a massively important theme. Why? Because actually, you behave according to your emotions. You know, Hollywood teaches us, doesn't it? You know, just follow your feelings, man. That's American, by the way. For those wondering, hey, y'all, follow your feelings, man. Like, very aggressive, man, isn't it? Follow your feelings, y'all. Can someone do a better American? Oh, yeah, okay. I mean, like, we're slowly drifting with that song, Graves Into Garden, that sounds a bit Nashville anyways. I was saying to Kerry and Meg that we should do some line dancing at the front as we're singing that. Whoa. Um, but, you know, follow your feelings. But that is the most ridiculous notion possible. It's a ridiculous philosophy. Because your feelings are fallen, your feelings are broken. You know, internally, actually, you're looking for a savior. And most of us in this room, praise God, have found Jesus. But yet still, our emotions and our feelings are still playing catch up with that reality. In fact, I'm not an overly emotional person. But over the last 18 months, like, I don't know whether I'm coming or going. Honestly, like, I'm like, Louise normally says, like, I'm emotionless. Almost like a robo, robo pasta. Just like, carry on. You know, it doesn't really matter what happens day to day. Like, generally, I'm quite steady. But obviously, taking away some of the foundational things that are integral to our emotional health, like one another, we need people to be emotionally healthy. You know, often we think people suck. Let's keep them at arm's length because we're going to get hurt by them. But when we do that, actually, we're creating more trauma for ourselves emotionally. Um, and so when we say to people, stay in. Don't talk to people. Make sure you're two meters away from every living being on the face of the planet. Surprise, surprise. It takes a negative toll on your emotional health. Because God has ordained that in community, we find emotional health. And so, you know, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking how in many ways, it's kind of like our head is full of wild horses running in every which direction. A hundred wild horses, which are emotions, and we're not sure which ones we should be trying to ride, which ones we should be trying to tame, which ones we should be trying to, uh, be trying to bridle. And ultimately what happens is we just feel burnt out and like at the end of ourselves. Can anyone relate to that at all? You can be honest here today, because I've felt that. I've felt that. I heard a funny thing this week, and it made me laugh about horses. 
And it was about this guy who wanted to learn how to ride horses. So he went to a Christian horse riding academy. Apparently they exist somewhere. And um, he went there and he says, listen, I've never ridden a horse before. And the instructor said, well, you're in luck because you've got a Christian horse today. And he responds to Christian instruction. And uh, it's like, okay, so how does that work then? He says, well, what you want to do is if you want to go fast, you just say, praise the Lord. Okay, say, praise the Lord, and the horse will move. The horse will bolt, bolt for you. Like, okay, cool. And he says, well, how do I stop the thing? And he says, well, you want to say hallelujah. If you say hallelujah, the horse will come to an abrupt stop. And he's like, okay, cool. So he gets on this horse, and he starts kind of trotting through the meadows. Great miming. You're picturing it now. Just picture the horse. I know you're seeing it at home. That's my horse. All right. He's trotting, and it's kind of awesome, and he's getting a bit more confidence, and he's like, praise the Lord. And he's going faster. Praise the Lord. This is amazing. Praise the Lord. And he's looking at the vistas and the clifftops and the meadows, and he's just getting more and more confident. So he's like Pentecostal mode. Praise the Lord. And he's Stetson in the air. Praise the Lord. And all this kind of stuff. But he notices that the horse is approaching like a ravine, like a chasm, a drop. It just falls away. The land falls away. And within 50 foot of the drop, he's thinking, what was the word? What was the word? And so he's going through his Christian library. He's like, amen, amen. And the horse just isn't responding. And he's like, Shekinah. <laughs> and other random Hebrew words, Shekinah, Sabbath. What could this word be? He can't remember what this word would be. And, and so the horse is coming like, to the very edge. And it's like two foot away from the edge. And he remembers. What was it? And so he says, Hallelujah. And the horse kind of puts the brakes on, and he's like, whoa, thrown like right over the saddle like that. And he's looking at the edge like this, but manages just to get back in his saddle. And then he goes, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> Come on, that's good. Come on. And he plummeted to his death. But hey, you know, our emotions are kind of unbridled horses doing their thing, right? And today I want to talk to us about how we're going to take control of our feelings and our emotions rather than our emotions and our feelings taking control of us. Because actually the world's hard. If you didn't get the memo, life is difficult. It's complicated. It's hard work. It's tiring. And like I was wondering this week, has life got harder? Like life has been hard since sin came into the world in the Garden of Eden. Life got hard at that point. But as life got harder, well, actually, I think life has got harder. And I'm going to give you three reasons. Because before we turn to the scriptures, I want you to get an appetite for the solve today. And I want you to get an, an appreciation and a respect for the problem that we're facing as humanity. The first reason I think life has got harder. Can everybody see this? That says number one, by the way, in case you're wondering. I don't know what you're drawing. A coffee bean, maybe? No, it's a number one in a circle. The first reason... And this is my thinking, okay? I'm not a psychologist or a psychotherapist, but this is my observation. Is the dissolution of family. The family unit. Under assault. It has been since the days of Cain and Abel, where two brothers turn on each other. But just imagine, every time there's a dysfunctional parent, right, training the next generation, that child grows up, with a measure of dysfunction that their parent has imparted, 
and the role a parent plays in terms of helping their child emotionally understand the world they're navigating isn't passed on and a child isn't trained, then becomes a parent and brings that dysfunction plus their dysfunction and imparts it into their children and then so on and so forth. You, you can see how down the line values slip and things that should be important aren't important. This is a real problem that we have to consider as we think about the complexity of life. Um, I love this quote um, in Peter Pan. Um, this is what Mrs. Darling says, and this is the, the mother of the children in Peter Pan. She says this, it is the nightly custom of every good mother to rummage in their children's minds and put things straight for the next morning, repacking into their proper places the many, many articles that have wandered during the day. And I think that's a real insight there. That actually one of the, you know, maybe you're a single dad or you're a single mom. You know, this isn't a judgment message at all. I know life is hard and relationships break down. But one of the roles of parents is to not just try to um, help their children meet and encounter Jesus. That is their primary responsibility. And not just their physical well-being in terms of putting three meals on the table every day. But one of their primary responsibilities is to make sure that their child can emotionally understand the playground and the classroom and the life and, and bullying and all these things and... and um, you know, challenges that children typically face. The problem is, is that if a parent can't navigate it themselves, what chance do they have at trying to empower and raise that Richard's telling me to get on camera for those online. Apologies, if you're watching at home, I'm still here. I was just talking to my preferred size of the building. My, my, my preferred people over there. Only playing, only playing. Um, but obviously, if a if a parent can't navigate the world, how are they going to train their children to navigate the world? And so I think the dissolution of family is a primary area that is speaking to the decline of emotional health across the board. The second thing I would say makes it hard is that we are now in the age of information. The age of information. At your fingertips is every challenging predicament and scenario that's playing itself out across the world right now. All of us understand or we have a little bit of insight into what's playing out in Kabul in Afghanistan. And so we may carry a measure of sympathy, but we're aware of it. We're also aware of like the COVID kind of fallout. You know, for a season on 24-7 scrolling news, there was a little counter in the bottom left that was counting the deaths. And eventually that got replaced with counting the vaccinations and all this kind of stuff. But constantly, mentally, emotionally, we're bombarded with information that speaks to global concerns. Like I even read... Just in my toilet break, you didn't need to know where I read it, but between services, um, you know, I read that we may struggle at Christmas this year. Did you know that? Because apparently there's not enough CO2 to breed turkeys. Like, now that's my concern, apparently. Like, not only do I have the responsibility of my kids to deal with, I'm now thinking about what we're going to do if there's no turkeys to eat in December. And I genuinely believe this, that God has made us to live in villages, yet most of us live in cities and worlds. What I mean by that is your head, your emotions can only handle so much. 
Yet with 24-7 news in our pockets, we're connected to every horrible situation around the world. And I'm not saying we should disconnect from it, because obviously it's real. But in our immaturity emotionally, we don't know where to place it. And so it just becomes something that eats at our confidence, eats at our peace, until we just feel burned out and we're not sure why. I'll tell you why, because you've got a thousand global problems that you're trying to process whilst trying to feed your kids, whilst trying to hold down a full-time job, whilst trying to navigate a challenging marriage, not me, just speaking on behalf of a friend, right? Um, but but that's, the, that's the kind of reality that we're living in, the age of information, living with global concerns, so I'm not just now trying to earn a living to feed for my kids. I'm now worried about the threat of terrorism breaking out in Corfmullen this afternoon. And that's life. And like, just because we're Christians doesn't mean we're exempt from that challenge. Actually, in many ways, we're called to rise to the challenge. And we're going to get into that in a moment. The third thing, again, this is not judgment, but social media. And I'm not judging because those of you on social media know that I and Louise are on social media. Social media is ultimately a neutral thing, but people in, in, in emotional immaturity don't know how to, I guess, manage the temptation of social media. And essentially what happens with social media is now I'm not just aware and concerned about my own family, I'm now getting an insight into every other person's family. And the problem with social media is that it kind of puts fuel on the beast of comparison and jealousy and bitterness. Because now, like yesterday, I was fine with what I had. But today, I've seen what you've got. And now I'm a little bit more discontent with what I've got. In fact, I've thought about it like this, that the problem with social media is that people... Are, listen to this, this is really important. Make a note if you're making notes. People are trying to improve the perception of their life rather than the reality of their life. Do you understand? People are trying to improve the optics. How does my life look to a world that's interested rather than how is my life actually? That's what social media does. And I would say to the younger generations, I've kind of said this before, but I think it to be so true, is that many people are spending money they don't have on things they don't need to impress people they don't like. <laughs> I'll say it again. Many people are spending money they don't have buying things they don't need to impress people they don't like. That's what really what social media does, is it zaps our emotional health because we are constantly bombarded with comparisons that is de detrimental to our well-being. Anyone getting a sense for the problem? I hope you are. Mental Health Foundation articulate emotional health this way. They say emotional health is a positive state of well-being which enables an individual to be able to function in society and meet the demands of everyday life. Obviously, the foundation that put this quote together, it's not a Christian foundation. Um, and so I wouldn't say I subscribe to that wholly, but I think it's a helpful um, understanding of what emotional health means in the world. It means that in some way we can function in society. The reason I say I don't think that's really been jesus <laughs> is because I believe Jesus wants you to do more than just function. I don't think God's plan for you is, oh, I've got a massive plan for you. My plan for you is survival. <laughs> I think his plan for us is thriving. So if he came to give us life in its fullness, 
not just to a measure, then I would say, yeah, a non-Christian, maybe the best they can, can you put that slide back up, please? Maybe the best that a non-Christian can aim for is just that they can function. But I think a Christian, I'm not saying you don't have bad days, but what I am saying is we want a higher vision than, than functioning. We want to be thriving in life. Even though there's challenges, even though there's hardships, even though there's depression, even though there's illness, even though I've got COVID, even though I've got this terminal diagnosis, I want to thrive. Why? Because I've got the life of Christ at work in me, which speaks to my mental well-being. Now, if you're wondering, I think I'm all right emotionally. Like, again, I'm not a doctor. I know some of you may think, well, you must be a doctor of psychology. No, I'm really not, for those who were ever thinking that, right? Um, Two things to kind of just assess quickly as to how your emotions are doing. Two extremes, okay, that speak to the fact that maybe you're not as healthy as you'd want to be. Here's the first one. Are you too emotional? Like everything becomes emotive. Everything comes a point where maybe you're on the verge of tears or maybe by too emotional. One day you're as high as a kite, you're kind of on cloud nine. The next day you're like in the valley, in the, in the pit, you are struggling. Like, and it's, it's kind of like this roller coaster, which would imply that you are too emotional. When you're burnt out and you are fatiguing emotionally, in other words, you've got so many wild horses in your head, what typically happens is you don't know how to respond to anything, so you just cry about everything. You know, I've been in those situations where I'm looking for the fire exit as soon as someone starts crying, because I'm like, I need to get out of this room right now. Why? Because I suffer with the other. No emotions. <laughs> so... I, for example, it, I, could, I could win a million pound tomorrow, or Ramsey, my dog, could die tomorrow. And if you saw me in the street, unless I'm driving like a Ferrari, you wouldn't know what had happened. Because typically, sorry, I need to go back on screen. Sorry, those at home. Can we buy a third camera and put it over here? Is that all right? Um, or maybe I'll get a GoPro on a helmet that just comes around, like a, a preacher cam. That would be awesome. A big, yeah, a big red face. By the way, I did get sunburnt yesterday. I don't know if you can see, but it feels about 48 degrees in this room for me this morning. I literally feel like the Teletubby sun. You know that child in the sun? I feel like I'm that bright today. Like, I don't know if you can see. Does, this, does, does the pen lid just go invisible when I run it over my face? They're just at home. Can you put the at-home camera on? I don't know whether they can even see the lid here. It's actually red, but it's hiding in the foreground. Oh, it, it's scary. It looks really close to my skin color. Um, anyways, you distract me. Um, so, like, yeah, I'm just I have a minimal emotional response. Now, I'm going to stereotype here, and I'm going to throw a broad blanket out. Don't be offended, but in my experience, more often than not, females. <laughs> oh, Pat Singleton's wagging a finger. She's not. She's not up for this. <laughs> She's not up for this. Well, I'm the one with the microphone, so get it. You got it wrong. Okay, I'm saying it's not always. I'm not always. Maybe you're more blokey, but now I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. So, typically, women, typically, not always. Not always. Let me just say that. Not always. Don't send me any emails. If you do want to send me an email, phil at hopechurch.com is where you want to send it, okay? They fall into this way because when they're fatigued, this is what happens. They have a response to everything. Like, so one day a child can knock the 
set of books over. And it's like, oh, that's fine, little Johnny. Don't worry about it. The next day, it's like, you're always doing that. Well, why don't just grow up? But mom, I'm like three. Yeah, just grow up. I can't take anyone. Because I'm not taking the mick. This is just my observations. Not from my house, obviously. Louise has never been anything like that. And typically, blokes fall into this area where emotions seem like a weakness. Because it, it, it's basically acknowledging the fact that I'm outside of control. And blokes are generally control freaks. They, they want to fix a problem, not think on a problem. And this it causes loads of headaches in marriages. Almost, It's a universal problem. Because women want their men to behave more like women. <laughs> right? And men want their women to behave more like men. And it's really interesting because someone had a great, Sam had a great observation in the first service. So it's like, isn't it the wisdom of God to bring male and female together? Because somewhere in the realm of emotions, they both speak to one another's kind of strengths and weaknesses. That on the one hand, Louise causes me to really think about a pain that I'm facing. And I will bring maybe more of a pragmatic observation to Louise that says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You know, and actually, it's, it's a profound thing. But if you find yourself camping in one of these areas too much, it's a sign that you need a touch of God. You need, you need God to help you with your emotional health. Because actually, he doesn't want you to walk through life robotic. He wants you to feel emotions. They're God-given. Jesus had emotions. Jesus cried. He was the son of God. He was about to heal the person who was dead, yet he still cried because he was sad for the person who died, his sisters. So Jesus allowed emotions to flow, but Jesus wasn't captive to his feelings. He also says that like he was, oh, what was it, in the Garden of Gethsemane, that he was like, Someone help me. What is it? Like, distressed. Distressed is a good word. Distressed. He had an emotional response to the situation, yet his feeling didn't boycott the plan. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, first of all, if you are married, maybe this might help your marriage. An understanding that, like, if your wife or husband is too emotional, maybe they need help emotionally. Or if they are retreating into a cave and trying to ignore all the problems they're facing, that maybe they need help emotionally. Now, listen to what um, Paul says. I love this. To the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 10, a letter he wrote to a church in Corinth. Listen, the world is unprincipled. It's doggy dog out there. Okay, now, Paul is not a cynic, <laughs> even though this verse sounds like he's a cynic. All he's doing is observing a reality that is absent of God. A reality that the world is struggling in that doesn't know Jesus. The world is unprincipled. There's no values. It's dog-eat-dog -dog out there. Every man for himself. It just doesn't fight fair. Like, that could be written now, couldn't it? When you look around the world and the trauma and the challenges we're facing, it's so apt. But Paul says this, but we don't live or fight our battles that way. He says we never have and we never will. In other words, Christians are called to live and see life differently. He says this, the tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manip manipulation. In other words, they're not self-serving. He says, but they are for demolishing that entire massively corrupt culture. What about that for a mission? Like... Not only are you not called to be subjugated by the culture of the world, you are called to bring change and transformation 
to the culture of the world. Not only is it that we shouldn't drown in life's woes, but actually God has given us spiritual tools that helps us rise in a season when everyone else is being flattened. And we can read on. We use our powerful God tools, and I love this, such a blokey verse, for smashing warped philosophies. There's so many warped philosophies out there. Tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God. Fitting, listen to this, every loose thought and emotion and impulse and wild horses that are going in every which way into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Can you just go to that previous verse again, please, Richard? So smashing warp philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. So in other words, keep that up. Loads of wild horses in your head. Horses that have been planted there uh, by life, by the world, by social media. And Paul is saying, you have been given God-given tools that equip you to rightly place those wild horses into a life that is being structured by Christ. Does that make sense to people? It says, our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. The goal of Christian living is not to stay as you were yesterday. It's actually to become and to attain to the full measure of Christ. Individually and corporately, Jesus isn't coming back from a church that is dwarfed by the world and that is limping and got the lipstick all over the face. He's coming back for a bride that is in proportion to who he is. A glorious bride, a glorious church, a mature body of people ready to not just function, but ready to thrive in life. And I think this is... Uh, Hugely important because this is, we're going to get into this in so much more forensic detail in small group as we navigate emotions and whether they're ever bad or always good. Is it possible for them to be, ever be bad? We're going to look at that more in small groups. But I really wanted today, because we're back to school, I wanted to get really practical. And I've just been thinking a lot about this over the last couple of weeks, thinking like, what is it that makes our emotional health stunted? What is it that flattens us day by day? And by my observation, it is unaccountable worry. Now, I could go after 100 things today, and I'd do a mediocre job of all of them. So I thought, I think many people here today, they have an un unaccountable worry. What I mean by that is they've got a wild horse who is not accountable to any sort of leadership going wild in their head. To take this a little bit further, is I think the reason that we worry a lot is because I think we fail to decipher the difference between a responsibility and a concern. Okay, so I'll say that again. I think the reason that we struggle a lot is because we fail to decipher between a what? A responsibility and a concern. Let me try and help you understand what I'm saying here, okay? I'll get really practical. My kids, Caleb, Judah, and Zeke. Come here, Caleb. Come on up. Good lad, even though he's dressed like a chav today. Still love you, okay? 
I don't know what your mom was thinking, but I wasn't home, so it is what it is. Um, Caleb is my son. Is he a concern? No, he's much more than a concern. He's my responsibility. I have a responsibility for his growth and making sure that he's constantly humbled on a platform on a weekly basis. Eh? Now, Caleb is my responsibility, but my promotion at work, that's a concern. Let me have another one. Louise, do you want to come on up? Yeah, you can go that down. Uh, <laughs> dressed like a chav today, but I wasn't at home to help. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Louise, my wife, my marriage, my responsibility, my garden fence dispute, concern. Okay, a big concern. And the amount of balls that Caleb's going to get back thrown over, right? So this is my responsibility. That is my concern. You can go now. Um, my walk with Jesus, my responsibility. Okay, my preference about church that's my concern. My ministry, my responsibility. What others think about my ministry, my concern. Now, the reason I'm trying to help you understand this is because they are not of equal importance. But when we are emotionally fatigued, everything becomes emotionally equally important. When we are tired out, we become equally anxious about our promotion at work or our financial kind of situation as we do about the spiritual health of our children. And it's not because we've made a decision, but it's because we haven't intentionally made a decision that that happens. In our weariness and tiredness, we promote concerns as responsibilities. This is where I go, These are, this is my family, and over here, I've got all that's happening in Afghanistan. As a Christian, I can't just cut it loose and go, well, I'm not there, because it's a concern. But actually, this is my responsibility. So what do I do with my concerns? Listen to what Philippians 4 says. This is what Paul says. Don't be concerned about anything. Instead, pray about everything. So if something falls into a concern category, and I'm going to help you do this exercise at home, that's prayer material. My fence dispute isn't unimportant because it's concerning me. But it's something actually I can give to God. And actually not lose sleep over it tonight. My promotion obviously is my concern because, I mean, there is no promotion. <laughs> but work with me here, okay? In your world, your job is your concern. But you can pray about it. And there's something of a peace that is released when you feel like I've left it with my father. I don't know, for those of you who had, you know, f fairly good parents growing up, there was a sense of liberty and freedom about being a child where you can tell them your problem and leave it with them. And sometimes they might do something about it. Sometimes it would just miss it. But either way, you've just left something there. And I feel that's what like, Paul's saying here, because he's saying, like, instead of being concerned about everything, uh, anything, pray about everything. He says, tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard our hearts and minds as we live in Christ Jesus. Amen? So my fence dispute in the scheme of it is not a big issue. It's not going to get anyone saved. You know, it might get someone to heaven quicker. 
<laughs> it's not going to get anyone saved, right? But actually, Father, you see the concern. You see the frustration. Lord, I just want to leave that with you and deal with it according to your will as you say, see fit in Jesus' name. Amen. Whew, I'm now liberated of the burden. Like it's still there, but now I'm not trying to control it. I'm not trying to kind of bridle a horse that isn't mine. And we're getting on to that. Now, I read a really funny verse. This verse really made me laugh. Okay, Ramsey, come here. This is why the dog's here after all this. Ramsey, come here. You can take him off his lead if you want. Okay, good boy. Okay. He's a weird dog. Right, see if we can give me a cuddle. Where's he gone? Ramsey, here, here. Watch this. Give me your leg cuddle. Look at that. Cuddle my leg. It's the weirdest thing. Right, okay. <laughs> We're just having a moment here, guys, all right? And they call it puppy love. <laughs> okay, Ramsey, seriously, get back here now. Ramsey, come on, sit. Okay, so. Wait, stay. Right, Caleb, you come up. You be the dog whisperer, okay? Okay. So listen to this verse. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. It's such a funny tweet. Like, and I, when I read the Proverbs, I see them like Twitters because I think they're just like sound bites that are really insightful. This is what Solomon says about what I'm talking about. Proverbs 26, verse 17. Like one who grabs a stray dog by the ears is someone who rushes into a quarrel, not their own. I'll read that again, right? He's wondering, what's that got to do with the price of eggs? Like one who grabs a stray dog by the ears is someone who rushes into a quarrel, not their own. When we are so keen to make all concerns and burdens our responsibilities, what it's like doing is trying to bridle and, I guess, hold back a number of stray dogs that are not ours to tame. So Ramsey is my dog, okay? Or, you know, at least shared five ways, okay? Which means... All right, that's not appropriate for daytime viewing, okay? <laughs> okay. And I don't want him to let me... But I can grab his ears, and I can actually hold him by his ears, and he's not too kind of worried about it. It's okay. Why? Because he's my responsibility. So actually, this is my dog to tame, and it's my dog to kind of control and to lead. However, strangers... Like, he doesn't look like it, but this dog is ferocious. Anyone at home looking to break into a house because they're at church this morning? Actually, it would be fine because he's here, isn't it? <laughs> Bring that one through. Oh, uh, yeah, you're going to set him off. All right, set him off then. Go on. So he's going to check the perimeter now. And as you can see, he's intimidated all of the... And he generally goes to the most suspiciously looking one in the room, <laughs> which on this occasion is Lewis. Um... Okay, Ramsey, come back. Okay. Does anyone feel brave enough to try and grab his ears? Anybody? Benjamin, come on up. Okay. Benjamin, be careful. Be careful, though. Be careful how you approach him. You want to get down on his level. Get down, get down there. No, I'm playing. <laughs> come on, grab his ears. See? See, he's licking you. That's actually toxins that he's putting into your skin. Which are... Come back and make you well in the next week at some point. Okay, cool. You can go and sit down. Now, you can stay there a minute. Now, obviously, this dog is not ferocious in any way, shape, or form. But here's the picture. Is that, let's say, there are six dogs that you have been called to contend with in your life. But actually, you're fighting 50 of them. 
If you are trying to contain 50 stray dogs that are not yours to quarrel with, then the chances are you're going to either get overrun, bitten, or something bad is going to play out. And I think this is really important as we think about responsibilities and concerns, because this morning, to help you in emotional health, I want you to get really intentional about thinking, what has God called me to do? What are my responsibilities? What are my dogs? What is the dog that I am called to kind of contain rather than holding a hundred things simultaneously? Okay? Now you can go and sit down. Round of applause for Caleb and Ramsey and Benjamin. And so what I want to do is just, because I want this to be practical, and I'm coming to the end of my time, I want you to do an exercise this week, okay? And I want you to think of your life as like a pie, okay? I love pies. Who ate all the pies? Dom ate all the pies, okay? And I want, that wouldn't be right, would it? It does look a bit like a pizza. Think of a pizza, if that helps you. Uh, that's totally fine, I okay? Now, if this is the kind of the reality of my life, 85% of what I do can be done by other people. Okay? 85% of what I do, someone else can do. 10% of what I do can be done by someone else who is trained. Okay? As someone who has a measure of competence in the area that I have competence, okay? But then there's 5% of what I do that only I can do. That if I don't do it, it doesn't get done. Now this is a really helpful kind of way of you understanding the difference between your responsibilities and concerns. Because actually what I want to encourage you to do this week is write like numbers one to five or down to 10 or something and think about long and hard, what are the things that only I can do? Now, the reason this is important, not so that you can just say goodbye to the other 85% and say, I'm not doing that anymore because someone else can do it, but that you can more appropriately make a discerned decision in any given moment about what is your value. Does that make sense? So this morning, for example, I filled up some glasses of water, okay? It was great fun, but in reality, like, all of you could do that, okay? And also this morning, I played keyboard, which not everyone can do, but someone with a bit of training and competency in that area can do. However, this morning, I was also a dad. Now, only I can do that. It doesn't matter who else is good at babysitting, only I have the voice of a father into my children's lives. Now, I, I just want to give you kind of what my five are, just because I really want you to, to help think about how you're going to do this. So number one, my number one pressing, non-negotiable 5% is my walk with Jesus. No one else can bring me to maturity without my willingness to go there myself. So it doesn't matter if Louise read all the Bible in January. It really doesn't matter. It doesn't grow my spirit. I might be encouraged by what she's learning, but I'm not growing personally. It doesn't matter if Helen and Ollie um, commit to praying an hour a day for me. I'm not praying and getting to know Jesus for myself. So actually, my walk with Jesus is my 5%. No one else can do that for me. Okay. The second thing is my most important relationships, my marriage, my children, my friends. No one else can be Louise's husband. No one else can be Caleb's dad. No one else can be Hattie's mate. Well, they can, but not as good as me, okay? Just saying. As in, no one can be what I'm called to be to Hattie. No one else can do that, okay? The third thing is my ministry. 
Now, everybody in here who knows Jesus, you've got a ministry. It's really important to say that. You're not just called to come and watch church, okay? You're called to, um, to deliver and discharge the duties that God has called you for, okay? You've got a purpose and a ministry, and no one else can do what you need to do in the kingdom of God, okay? The fourth thing is my healthy existence. My physical, emotional, relational, financial health, that is a primary uh, responsibility of mine that only I can do. Only I can drag myself to the gym. Only I can, can try to um, invest in friendships. And then the fifth one would be taking time to enjoy life with family and friends. So stuff like Sabbath, rest, leisure. It doesn't matter if Colin had a good rest this weekend. What matters is that I'm being intentional with looking after myself, understanding that we are created for Sabbath, actually. Well, actually, Sabbath is created for us, I should say. And so you begin to see, here's my 5%. Now, the reason that that matters is that in any given moment, when we're emotionally drained, we can often make the wrong decisions because of what people think about us, rather than what does God think about us. So, oh, I, I need to do this because they'll think of X, Y, and Z. But, you know, Louise and my kids, they'll forgive me if I don't do this. The problem is, if you take from currency in that bank too often, eventually there's none left to draw. You know, like last week, um, a great example of it, because um, I really messed up the family diary. And I was away for Zeke's birthday. I was supposed to be away for all of Zeke's birthday in London. And then Louise said, it's all right, Zeke, don't worry, because Daddy will be there for your birthday party. And I was like, when's his birthday party? She said, Sunday afternoon. I was like, oh, no, that's when I'm supposed to be in Cornwall doing Phil's welcome service. Now, the hardship in that moment is I'm thinking, I want to go to Phil's welcome service, but then there's this after lunch thing and this fellowship stuff that's going to happen, which will mean I'll miss his birthday party. But actually, not all things are equal. What's more important? That actually, this church don't like me over here because I abruptly left as soon as I finished preaching, or the fact that my son remembers I was at his birthday. Now, th those kind of, it's, it sounds quite incidental, but ultimately, that's what going through this process helps you achieve. It helps you to begin to go, you know, when my emotions are flattened and I don't really understand fully what's happening, I can go back to the 5% that I've identified with God, the dogs that I am called to contend with and kind of just let the other ones run wild, okay? Or pray about them and leave them with God. So I really encourage you this week to really think about that. Just write one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 in a margin. And then what are the things that only I can do? Now, obviously, granted, this is a practical tool. But many of us carry emotional trauma that has stunted our growth emotionally and our health emotionally. And that's something that only God can heal. And sometimes it's immediate and sometimes it's not immediate. But what I want to offer you today is just to pray for you. Like if you feel like the last 18 months or maybe it's the last 18 years or maybe a historic thing that has played out in your life that has caused you to be dysfunctional in your emotional health. That's a horrible word. But has caused you to kind of not live the best that God wants you to live. I want to encourage you to stand this morning because I want to pray for you this morning. And I'm going to pray out loud. I'm, I'm not going to call you all to the front one by one and try and give you words. Although if there are words given, that's great. Um, but really, I didn't just want to give you practical tools because actually this only speaks to our habits and really some of the stuff we need to address is maybe a lot more deep than that, where people need to be liberated from something in their life. So just for this moment, let's just hang fire and just sit still for a moment. <sighs> Father, I 
Father, I thank you that you are the God of our emotions. And I thank you, Lord, that in the person of Jesus, we see the image of God. We see the unseen God. We see you. And I thank you, Lord, that in Christ, we see emotions played out. But God, this morning, I just invite you to come and to just touch people's minds and hearts and bring to attention things, maybe historically, that has caused their emotions to be stunted and their emotional health to be blocked and they're feeling fatigued and wearied by life. And I just pray, God, in this moment, Lord, if people sense your spirit, that they would have the confidence to stand where they are as we seek to just pray into it and give it to you and invite your healing hand to come. So uh, while people's eyes are still closed and the heads are bowed, if you feel like you want prayer this morning, I want to invite you to stand where you are. And I know it can be a little bit awkward, but there's no judgment here because sometimes life batters us. And it's not our own doing often. It's because the world is fallen and it's groaning and it's waiting for redemption. And we get caught in the, in the crossfire of that. Thank you for being willing this morning to stand where you are. And to be vulnerable in the presence of God. He's a good God. Let me say that. He's a good God. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it's an iconic verse, but he says, I know the plans I've got for you. I know them. You may not know them, but I've got plans for you to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. God has tremendous plans for you. And so God, this morning, I pray for my brothers and sisters standing in this room. Just open your hands where you are if you're comfortable doing that. And Lord, this morning, I just pray that your spirit would come in greater measure. Father, Lord, that your healing hand would come in this moment and touch those parts of our emotions that are deep in our psyche or in our soul, in our heart, God, wherever our emotions live. Father, I pray, God, that as a great physician, you will come with your healing tools, Lord, and touch and bring life where there's death. God, we've declared it today in our worship. You turn bones into armies. You turn graves into gardens. And Lord, our emotions, Father, are often either like dead or they are dying and limping. And God, I pray this morning, God, that your healing hand would come and do what only you can do. Touch that part of us that is so deep within us that psychologists can't get to and psychotherapists can't get to but you can because you made us and you know us intimately we are fearfully and wonderfully made by you and for you and Lord this morning I just speak the word of healing like Ezekiel speaking over the valley of dry bones I speak healing over those standing today may they know a rejuvenation and a, and a, a, a zap to their emotions where the, where the haze and the fog is lifting, where the scales are falling, and they can see, first and foremost, you as you are, and they can see themselves as you see them.
God affirming that sense of identity that they are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. They are not paupers. They are not orphans. They are not aliens. They are not outcasts. But they are children of the Most High. And because they're children of the Most High God, even if we didn't have the parents to put the world back into order at the end of every day, we thank you that we have a Heavenly Father who, who identifies and empathizes with us in our pain and in our challenges and in our suffering. And God, I pray today, Father, that we would just know your healing hand, bringing vision, life, and lightness to our emotions, God. And Lord, I just pray for us as a body of people at Sunny Hill, God. Let this not just be a message that just lives for 40 minutes and then dies. But Lord, may something of what you said through me today just sit with people and cause them to really lay hold of the call on their life. To bring their concerns to you, but then to have the discipline to leave their concerns with you. God, I thank you this morning that you're a good, good father. And we just commit our emotions to you that they would serve you and glorify you all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.